We are in the Psalm Songs series right now. I promise you, like 95% promise you that you know this song. And so I want to encourage you to have fun with this and to sing along. Today's gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do And I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the wood is on the street that the fire in your heart is out I'm sure you've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt. And I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. And all the roads we have to walk are winding. And all the lights that lead us there are blinding. There are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. Because maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. what you're not to do And I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads that lead you there are winding And all the lights light the way you're blinding There are many things that I say to you, but I don't know how, because maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me.
Amen. Come on. Man, is that not a great song? I remember listening to that in my youth. Not ever. Not ever. You know, I mean, like back in April, um, MJ was, was uh, still hanging with us a little bit back in uh, March. And she was like, you know what you should do? I, we were in a staff meeting or something like that. And they should, they, she said, you should do Wonderwall. It's like, what's a Wonderwall? What the world? This is like a genre of indie alternative. Do I look like I listen to indie alternative? I mean, serious. Did George Strait ever sing Wonderwall? That's what I want to know, okay? And then they reminded me, it's like, well, maybe not everyone still listens to the music that you listen to, Pastor Joe. And it's like, that's what's wrong with the world. That is legit what is wrong with the world today, for crying out loud. No, um, I, I really don't know that I'd ever heard that song before. I actually asked some young people, and I'll, I'll say that term, young people coming into church just a couple of minutes ago, and I said, do you know what this is? And they're like, well, not, yeah, yeah, we know that song. And I said, well, we're supposed to be doing classics, and they looked me right in the eye, and they said, these words came out of their ever-loving mouth. That is a classic. Oh, my word, what they were trying, what I heard was, dude, you got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. It's like, is, is that what you're trying to get across to me? It's like, Joe, you're old. Okay, it's like, wow. Well, well, anyway, it's one of these things where as the staff gets together and they suggest ideas, specifically um, the worship leader, um, shares ideas about the upcoming summer and what should be going on. Um, I really had cast that one aside and thought, nah, I'm going to do something better than that. You know, I'll be doing something like Buck. Buck Owens or something. It'd be really good. You know, people are going to love it. Um, and then I, I just got to listening to it. I, honestly, in, in my mind, I've never heard it before. Probably in the, you know, in the Walmart, maybe I have. Um, but it's like, it's a Walmart song. Okay. So um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Lighten up, people. Some of you are like, oh, we're going to another church. It's like, okay, okay. Um, the long and the short of it is I listen to it. It's like, I like the song. I like what this song says. But I need to know what a wonder wall is. And so I would pose to you the question, do you have a wonder wall? Did you ever have a wonder wall? And I suspect from the looks on your faces, because I can now see your faces, that at least one of you is looking at me going, oh, for real? Are you seriously, do you not know what this is a metaphor? No, 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 no. See, I did my research. I've been listening. To, I didn't just get up here and preach a message to you. I did some research. You know that um, Noel Gallagher said that Wonderwall came about because him and his brother Liam had a wall in their bedroom that they put footballers' posters up on. Now, they don't understand. For, they're from across the pond, okay? So they're talking about soccer players, okay? Footballers, big, giant, you know, not like this is not a foot. Okay, we get the difference. You just got to roll with it, and that's how it is. Okay, that was my chance, okay? Okay, did you hear him get up here and say everybody knew this song? He was directing that at me. All right, I understand that. But he said this, a wonder wall came about from a wall in their bedroom that he shared with his brother when they were kids, and they used to stick pictures of famous football players, footballers, sorry, and rock singers, anybody that they admired a lot, and whenever they were in their room, they would call this their wonder wall. This is their wall. Did you have a wonder wall when you were young? And don't say, yeah, I had Farrah Fawcett on mine, because you'll have to come forward, okay? You will need to come forward and repent, okay? I did not have Farrah Fawcett. I had a black 
light poster with a dragon on it that if you turned that little black light bulb, that blue purple bulb on, it lit right up and it was amazing. Okay, some of you had Elvis, you know, black velvet Elvis. Um, but did you have a wonder wall? Did you have a wall in your bedroom that you put posters on? These were your heroes. These were the people that you looked up to. These were the things. Well, move this thing forward just a little bit because um, I, I had heroes, but if I put put them up on the walls because I tore them off the front of my comic books. Okay, I was a huge Spider-Man fan back in the, in the 60s, which was almost close to the time that he was created, okay, that he was born. And so it was kind of amazing. I lived on military bases in Spain and Germany and New Hampshire and um, South Carolina. And, and so that was my life. And so one of the things that I did as a child because I was so severely introverted was I collected um, comic books. And specifically, I loved and collected Spider-Man comic books, and I honestly wish um, that I still had some today. But the long and short of it was, I, I would often miss going to the castles in Seville, Spain, and places like that, because it's like the, the local pool was going to open, the, the base pool was going to open, and I had to be there on opening day, put my little towel down, had my little box of comic books, and we would trade comic books, and, uh, and I would have some. Uh, it, it was just absolutely great. Um, I, I just peeled this one out just to say, hey, how much is a Spider-Man comic book back in my day worth today? I just want you to know that you can buy this comic book right here. <laughs> okay, because I, I can't tell you that I had that comic book. What I can tell you is that comic book is from my day. Okay? Uh, I, I, there's a chance that I traded a comic book just like that. Not that one particularly. But you can buy that one right now for $1,499,000.99. Man, I hate my parents for throwing all my stuff away when we moved. Because I'm supposed to be wealthy. I am supposed to be stupid wealthy based on my G.I. Joes and what they're worth from the 60s and my Spider-Man Spider comic books and what they're worth. But Spider-Man was my hero. Man, I, I absolutely was there with him. But it's kind of crazy. The things that we anticipate aren't worth that much become worth gold, like our faith, which is worth more than gold, the Scripture says to you and I. It's a faith that I'm talking about. It's a belief that demands, listen to me, it is a belief that demands that you physically, actually, in a real sense, do something with your faith. Because, as I've said before, you can't separate your faith and your works. And I'm not saying you've got to stand up on a, on a soapbox on a street corner with a megaphone, but I'm not saying you don't. Because I believe in a very real God that wants to change your life, and he doesn't want you to be me. He wants you to be you. My name is Joe Wood. I was born in 1960. I'm a classic. Actually, there's another word. What am I? I'm not a classic. I'm, I'm, I'm timeless. I'm timeless. <laughs> that means, that means I, I think it means I'm headed to great-grandfatherhood or something. I don't know. But, but it's like, that's who I am. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Not at all. I was a wicked, awful, terrible little sinner just like some of you in here. And listen, we all look back and laugh at some point at what we did back then and that we're still alive and that we're not in jail 
and thank God that we're not in hell before he saved us. I met Jesus when I was 17 years old. Didn't have a concept of what it really meant. Surrendered to him a couple of years later. Began to actually pursue him a year or two after that. And it changed my whole life. Therefore, when the Lord called me into ministry, I couldn't say no or else he's not my Lord. The only answer I could give him was, yes, what do you want from me today? And I begin to move forward, and I share all of that just because the Scripture says in the book of Hebrews, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists. First, believe that he exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's that earnestly seek part that takes me back to the wonder wall. We'll get to that in just a split second, literally a split second. I've pursued and chased after God, and I understood a God of sacrifice. I understand a God of love. I understand a God of compassion. But I don't have a clue why God does the things God does when God does the things he does. I don't. I don't understand why God doesn't just jump right in and bring so much healing that the whole world repents and turns to him. I don't understand. But what I want to share with people for the rest of my life is the part that I do understand. And I just need you to understand that this whole thing about me talking about a Parisos life and a Hoopernikeo life, and maybe you're getting tired of those words, but those words are so real to me. Not in a manner of, I'm going to get what I want when I want it, how I want it, but rather in, I'm going to move forward, and if I get a flat tire today, guess what? God wants to do something. And I'm going to start looking for it. I'm not promising you that I'm going to do that today. I'm telling you that's the way I've been living my life for the last couple of years. And I'm telling you that as I embrace the difficult that I preached about last time, the trials and tribulations, as much as I embrace the favor of God, they come together in a Parisos life that gives me the opportunity when I get up in the morning to say, thank you, God. Not because God is doing what I want him to do, because if I throw my fist on the table or into the air and demand it, then he is not God. And he's not giving up his job. He's not getting off the throne. And he loves you so much that he is so patient, not counting men's sins against them for the fourth, the tenth, the hundredth generation, but rather trying to love you and answer your prayers if you will choose to chase after him. He wants you to have the most amazing marriage. I'm not saying you'll always be happy. I'm not saying it will always be fun. I'm not saying your spouse will always make you cookies or bring you flowers. What I'm saying is you, ha- you will have a relationship that will be a blessing to you and not a curse when you do your part God's way. God's way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God 
Because anybody that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is, I told you what a wonder wall was, but what is the meaning of the song Wonder Wall? Once again, going back to the guy that wrote it, he wrote the lyrics and co-produced the track with Owens Martin. The meaning of Wonderwall is about having somebody who serves as a pillar in your life, who offers a sturdy place to lean in times of trouble. The choice of the phrase Wonderwall to describe this person seems to uh, suggest that they are more of a fantasy than a reality. A dream that somebody will come swooping in and help solve the problems of your life and bring order to your life and save you from the chaos. In this way, the song is about somebody who would like to avoid their own problems and perhaps have them solved by somebody else. As we all learn, and this is the part that I hate about this interview, as we all learn this mythical person who will come and rescue us does not exist and we, are, uh, we alone are responsible for solving our problems problems in our lives. How sad is that? But that's what this was written about. This was a songwriter who wanted somebody. People believe, Noel said, that people believed that he wrote this song about his wife. And by the time all the news people and all the, the music industry had said, it's about his wife, he said, I couldn't back up. He said, I couldn't go to my girlfriend, now wife, and say, sorry, I didn't write that song about you. They're lying. It had broke her heart. He said, I just wrote the song about somebody. I just wanted to believe that there was somebody could come and step in here and do this thing. Metaphorically speaking, this song is, is an alternative or an indie genre, but it's a Taylor Swift song. It's a breakup song. The person didn't show up. So they got a song written about them. There it is. But seriously, the fact that he wrote, we all learn that this mythical person who will come and save us does not exist it speaks of somebody who is so hungry, so longing for life to have purpose, for life to have meaning, to help them out of a bad situation that they've created, to, to have somebody step in and intervene in their life. Now, normally I would chide the staff just a little bit because it's taking me this, this long to get to Psalm 42. I like you at Psalm 42, with, or at the scripture, within a couple of seconds. I really do. But I needed to lay some groundwork so I could connect the wonder wall to this because the wonder wall is my desperate desire to have a mythical, absolutely imaginative person come in and save me. And Psalm 42, I believe, is King David, even though it's given to the sons of Korah. It's King David saying, God, I am so dry and so hungry and so longing. I need purpose. I don't want to give up. I need to persevere. But like a deer, I need you. And so I want to read this psalm to you in Psalm 42. It says, For the director of music, a mascal, which is a literary, a literary musical term they believe, of, and notice it says of, and you can circle that in your Bible, the word of, um, because it's, it, there's, a, there's an argument going theologically um, in the commentaries of whether that word of is supposed to be of, for, or from. Because I, like other people, believe that King David wrote this and handed it to the sons of Korah, and they put music to it. And they played it. So if you hear me say that, that's why. Um, and that's where I am just in my personal readings and studying. But it says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? 
If God is real, they say to you and I, ladies and gentlemen, then where is he? If God is here, then why do bad things happen to good people? If God is here, then why doesn't he show up? And I'm here to tell you right now that the only answer that I have is I don't know. But I do know that he's empowered you and I to make a difference in people's lives. And I believe that God is saying, if they love me so much, why aren't they stepping up? And I'm not saying we're not. This is kind of like preaching to the choir because this is an active, giving, and loving church. It is absolutely crazy. And it is not, it is not um, matching up with the statistics of churches in America. This is a church that I was told by a pastor last weekend while I visited his church. This church is behind the scenes in Richmond, Kentucky, doing so much that if they stopped doing it, everybody would notice. But they don't want the notoriety for it. And that's who we are. And that's what's going on right here. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's speaking to his wonder wall, his hero, his his poster. And he's saying, God, when will you step in and intervene and make this bad thing in my life go away? I want you to solve it. I want to hide from the world in my bedroom. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, once again, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's calling us, the psalmist is calling us to come back and to come back. And he's just sharing with us the thing that he, he has no answers for why God is not speaking to him. He doesn't know. He just knows that as a deer pants for water, and you've got to take the, the context out there in the Middle East, as a deer pants for water in the desert where there's not enough water, as it is suffering and dying, God, my soul is so thirsty for your presence. This wasn't written by backwards people because it was written 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago. It wasn't. These were not cavemen scratching stuff on the wall. These were incredibly intelligent people. Goodness sakes, we can't even tell you how they built the pyramids. These people were so smart. Some of you like aliens. Aliens. I'm not far from that, okay? I'm just saying. Okay, we can talk later. But I'm not far from that. But if if you say, well, they cut these big limestone blocks that weighed only 50 tons, and they rolled them up these logs up the ramps of the pyramid before they cut, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I hear you, but who fed all those people? 
We're talking about four or 500,000 people working on the pyramids all at the same time. Who fed them? It would have had to have been an absolute. We can't figure it out. We've got all this technology. We could do it today. But we can't figure out how they did it. They weren't cavemen. So when he writes this song, he's writing to a God that is real and that he follows. And he's saying, you are my wonder wall. I thought today you would save me. Where are you when the people say, where's your God? Like anything else, it seems that he has been following somebody for a long time. And we kind of lose the luster. Didn't he talk about that? Man, I was glad. I remember the days I used to be so excited to go to church. Man, I'm singing, you know, oceans as we're driving in the car. And I'm swatting the children, telling them, shut up. I'm trying to have spiritual time up here so that when I walk in the doors of church, you know, I'll be feeling holy instead of mad at my kids, you know. That's what David says. I'm going to remember back when I just couldn't not be in church because who knows what was about to happen when God shows up and goes, kaboom, and lands in the room. And now we're like, yeah, that's not God. We don't, we don't allow that around here. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not God. I can't. I, I just got to pray and discern and say, but God's got to be God. And I need him to show up even in my own personal life. In Psalm 42, it's written about being desperate for God to come. And man, I, I, again, I still am there. You've got to understand that David, I believe he wrote it, but was running from Absalom, if you want to look at that that way and say, man, he was going. But I know this in all the years that I've walked with God. I know this. I know that God is, in fact, right here, right now. I know, and I hope and pray, that you did not walk into this room to hear me or to hear what the psalm song's going to be or how Jeff and I might, Pastor Jeff and I might banter back and forth a little bit about it. We'll have fun. We'll laugh. But man, I hope you came in here like he said, I just need God to come down here and touch my life. Today, I need physical healing. I believe in that. I need emotional healing. There are relationships in my life that need healing. I need God. It might be in a song. It might be in a sermon. I hope it's in our relationship to one another. I'm not interested in putting on a Sunday show. I want us to be a community where people pray for each other. It's why we've made the big change to the way we end our services. It needs to be about the congregation ministering, the brotherhood, the community ministering to each other. Not because you're perfect, but because your feet are pointed at the cross and you're headed that way and you're struggling and we can relate to one another and we can struggle with one another and we don't have to throw rocks at one another, but we don't not call sin out even in our own lives. We don't not do it. I know for a fact that God is here. I know for a fact that God empowers you and I. I know for a fact that he is leading you and I forward. I know beyond my own ability to know that he is coming back to take me home. I know that because God is faithful to his word. Somebody once said it this way. I know that I was saved. I know that I am being saved. And I know that I will be saved when he comes back. 
I know that process of sanctification is taking place, and I know for a fact that I am not that kid that was raised on those military bases that was a filthy, awful sinner, and I don't make excuses for him, but I also know that I am not yet the man that God wants me to be or is longing or is looking forward to seeing me become when I walk into heaven. And I can put off all of this weight of trying to measure up, trying to look good, trying to do things well, and to feel like I'm still relevant, that I haven't given up on my wonder wall. We live in a world of people that are falling off the wagon all over the place spiritually right now. In 2023, this term really started catching fire. It's called deconstructing their faith. A lot of that going on. They're looking at their wonder wall and they're ripping things off their wonder wall saying, I don't think I want, you know, that on there. I don't think I want some of this on there. You know, and I, I appreciate, but what does that even mean? Deconstructing their faith. You don't understand, that's a metaphorical term for, no, it isn't. Back up 50 years and we called it apostasy. With all due respect. And, and, and if you're in here going, now hold on a second, I, I'm just telling you straight up, that's kind of what it means. At the worst, it means apostatizing, falling away, giving up, leaving their belief of and in God. That's at the worst. At best, it means humans picking and choosing what parts of God's truth in Christ Jesus they will allow to be truth in their hearts and their minds. This I'll let be true. Uh, this, I don't know how God did it. Or I, you haven't given me a good enough definition, explanation, um, um, investigation yet. So it can, God can only do things the way you can understand them in your small little tiny mind. And I don't, I, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying in our humanity, which, which we, we don't use what? But 2 or 3% of our brain, and, and people have said probably could would really move mountains if we could attach the rest of our brain and, and do things like that, okay? I'm, I'm just saying. We're using so little of our brains, and then we puff up and like, well, there's no way God could have done that. I can't fathom God. How can I tell you how he could or could not do something? And yet I'll totally deconstruct my belief system just because I don't, I don't know how they got it done. So, you know, that whole walking and water thing. How many times have I heard somebody come to me and say, you know, that whole walking and water thing, probably you know, like a sandbar. <laughs> probably there was a sandbar there, and Jesus walked out on the sandbar. No, he didn't. He walked on the wave. Those waves made the boat disappear. There was such a rough sea out there. It was not a sandbar. Have you ever been to the beach when a big old giant wave comes and crashes down on you? I've been there at the beach, and, and you know, I'm that guy that I can sit in the sand for about you know, 20 minutes. My, I'm like, hey, what else you want to do today? My wife would be like, well, i got another eight hours of sitting on this sand, and then you can ask me that question. And I'm like, no, about 20 more minutes, and I'm going back to the room. And she's like, okay, I'll be here. And then she'll come in, and her be stribbly and stuff like that. And I'll be like, what happened? She's like, I went into the water, and this big rogue wave came over and knocked me flat. Just knock me right down. That's the waves that Jesus was walking on. See? What a sandbar. But I'm going to deconstruct my faith because I can't understand how it happened. Or, or, or I'm kind of just tired of it. I would dare say that that's the actual reason more times than not. Uh, just not sure I want to believe it anymore. Eh, we're there. In all things, in all things, deconstructing is a reinventing of truth to suit our own agenda. 
And that's usually where you see that term being used. I'm just talking about the idea of is your faith still relevant? Is that wonder wall, when you put your faith in that person who is God, going with the metaphoric wonder wall, not the actual wonder wall, when you put your faith in the purpose of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ to save you, and to interact in your life. When you did that, did you do it like, God, I'm in it forever? Did you do it where you can just peel pieces off and say, I'm kind of done with that. I'm kind of done with that. Because sometimes when we're dry, just like the psalmist, when we're dry and we're in the desert and we don't know what God's up to and we don't understand, I'm just telling you, and I hope it doesn't sound like a broken record, but I'm just telling you that the place that I go check about that first is not heaven. It's the mirror in my bathroom. I go stand in front of that and say, Joe, are you living your life with your dogs in this fashion? Are you living your life with your car in this fashion? Are you living your life with your church after the fashion of God Almighty? Are you living your relationships out after the fashion of God Almighty? Or are you making excuses not to interact, not to deal with, not to build, not to pour into, not to invest in all of these areas of your life? You just want what you want when you want it and how you want it. And more is better and bigger is better. Or is it about following God and realizing that a life of following that wonder wall, a, a, a life of recognizing and being touched and putting your faith and hope in the idea that you have a God that you can lean on, you have a God that you can trust, you have a God that loves you, you have a God that is not pulling out the whip and cracking it every time you sin, but rather he's extending his hand and saying, let's try this again, but come away from the sin. But don't beat yourself up because I've died for it already. Is it relevant? Scripture tells us when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy that the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And I'm not talking about red-faced, big horns, spines down their back, wings for arms, demons. I'm not talking about Constantine. I'm talking about some of those Hollywood versions. I'm talking about demons that were angels that had their, their, their wings ripped off, or if they had wings to begin with, that were sent to earth that are no longer demons. Excuse me, angels. They're no longer angels. And so they're on this earth, and they're not angels anymore. They're not cast out angels. They're here. And I'm saying that there's this place where we come to recognize that things will be taught in the middle of this battle to draw you away from Jesus and teach you that your faith is no longer relevant. And you'll begin to do the same thing that Eve did. You'll begin to say, well, I don't know that he really said that. You might be right, Satan. I don't. And when you do that, you get a little chink in the mortar and pretty soon the bricks start falling out. The foundation starts crumbling. I'm not saying that the Scripture is not something worth wrestling with and investigating and trying to understand. What I'm saying is when you feel dry in your soul and dry in your person, is it because it's easier for you to, instead of picking up your Bible or a commentary or doing some study, to click on Netflix and then wonder why you're not growing spiritually? There's three words stuck to my mirror that I have to see every time I walk into my bathroom in my house. It says create, 
read, move, or walk. Move. I would dare say that if, if we could just capture those into our daily activity, we might be surprised at how our relationship to God begins to change. If we approach the Scripture instead of dictating what it needs to say, but reading for what it is and begin to say, is my life relevant and do I need to change the way I'm living, we might, we might see something happen. The sad part is, it goes on to say, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. It's, it's just hard to say that people want to get a hold of this, this life that they want, but they just don't want to do it God's way. And they're wondering why God is not doing what he said. See, I can relate so well to Psalmist in Psalm 42 because my hero is Jesus. I do long for heaven, not because I'm the pastor. This was the case in my life before I became. I, I think this is why I, I got called to be a pastor, because this was the case in my life. I didn't adopt this because I became a pastor. It's what I had adopted already. My hero is, is Jesus. I long for heaven. I long for God to move in our lives the way he did in ancient times. I long to sit and have a conversation with God. But do I want to do the things God's way in order for that to happen? Do I want to work at my marriage or do I want to abandon the third one, the fourth one, and the fifth one and, and, and just not realize that I've got a serial problem and it doesn't make you an awful person. It makes you somebody who's not going through life with your eyes open. It's just, it's just if I keep tripping over the curb and I don't look down to see if there's curbs when I'm walking, I'm going to trip over the curbs again. So how do I come away from whatever it is about me that's investing and in doing things that allows me to change because God wants me to have a great marriage and I believe that. Do I curtail my finances and use them God's way and then when God blesses me, they're there for me to continue? Or do I say, God, you're just not working the way I, I, I want to? And, and do I keep doing this? Do I spend myself into homelessness just because I deserve it and I want it? Do I want to raise my kids according to what's right and what a right understanding of the Bible is? Do I want to even look at the, the, the Bible and say, huh, I wonder if I'm a good parent, biblically? Do I need to change who I am? Do I want to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give everything I have, go wherever he calls me, pray for, love, welcome, and heal people? Do I want to do that? See, that's what he told us to do, but we don't want to do that, but we want the Parisos life, right? We want the life. We want to be relevant. We want the wonder wall to come in and save us, but we don't want to stand in front of the wonder wall and do it, what he's asking us to do. Everyone is screaming for God to give them the Parisos life, but not very many want to follow Jesus to get it. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about waking up hungry in your soul for God to step into your life. Say, God, I need you. Like the songwriter said, we all want somebody to come and save us. But like the psalm writer said, we want it to be God. But like our fellow man says, we want it to happen without any effort on our behalf. We don't want to have to do those things. We don't want to have to pay the price. And if we're not careful, we, not just our faith, cease to become relevant to our children our spouse, to our home, to our church, to our community, and even the kingdom of heaven. I took this picture when I was on vacation with my wife one time. 
we were walking around Cape Cod. It was a motorcycle trip, and we were having a wonderful time. You know what that is? Real quick. Uh, no. It's not a church. It was a church. It's not a church anymore. You know why? It ceased to be relevant. It used to be full of people that would come in. That's actually somebody's house. That's their cars parked out front. It's a chouse. I'm not kidding. That's the word for it. It's a church house. But when I was there, I thought, man, this is beautiful. I want to go back and I want to paint this big picture of this church. And the longer I stood there looking at this church, the more aware I was of the fact that that's a very, very sad picture. It's a beautiful church, beautiful house. But what it says is those people didn't think their church was relevant to their lives. They didn't think God really wanted to move in their lives anymore. They didn't think showing up on Sunday morning was important. They didn't think going out on Wednesday nights or, or even taking Jesus to work with them anymore. They didn't feel like it was important enough. And pretty soon, one by one, as they began to walk away from their wonder wall, that church ended up empty. And that as the church ended up empty, instead of continuing to be the church, people showed up and said, let's make the church something else. Let's make the church super comfortable. Let's make the church super fun. Let's make the church super casual. And I'm not saying that's not, I would love to live there, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, are we living such a life where we say with the psalmist, as a deer pants for streams of water, God, I need you. I'm drying up the world around me is saying, where is your God? And I'm on my knees saying, God, where are you? I need you. Would you please come? See? Or are we at the place of going, yeah, I don't know if that's important anymore. I don't know if that's a big deal. I don't know about that. What do you think today? Are you in need of God to come and touch your life? your health, your marriage, your hope, your faith. You just need God to touch you to remind you that he's there. You have to give up in order to rise up. You actually do. You've got to surrender to the Lord and just say, God, if you're going to raise me up, I need to let go. Because you have to let go in order to gain what the Lord has for you. You've got to follow. That means leave in order to move forward. That's very, very important. And the scripture will tell us over and over again that we have to bow down in humility in order to be lifted up into the presence of God. But we don't always want to do that, do we? In the midst of all this fun, all this writing, all this praying over this message, I wonder, is the Lord saying something to your heart this morning? Is the Lord saying, hey, if you are dry and something has to change, can we pray for you? Is that where your heart is right now? It's like, yeah, it was a great message, kind of fun, a little smile, a little serious at the end. I got what I needed or 
are we at the place of saying, God, I don't want to leave without it. I need it. Whatever it is, could you do me a favor and just get up wherever you are right now and come up here and let me pray for you. Could you do that? You're in this place and you're saying, this is what I need right now. Yeah, that's how it is, Karen. Yeah. I know it takes courage. I get it. You're not more or less spiritual if you come up here. You're just more aware of where you personally are, not where everybody else is. But if you're just at that place where you're like, yes, I need this today. Man, we're in the middle of the summer, and this is why I walked into this room today. I need this. There you go. Just come on up here. Yeah. You might be in here, and you've gone to church all your life, but I, I will ask you, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus and said, here it is, Lord? Because on the one hand, you know about God, and he needs to do things for you. On the other hand, you surrender to God, and you're saying, take my life. And that's what he's after. That's what he's after. I wanted to do it this way. We've been doing it. Have you stand. Makes it a little more comfortable. A little more easy to do the church sidestep out of the row. You know, come forward. I'm really not interested in manipulating you. I'm just telling you that when I was 17, I met Jesus. When I was 19, I surrendered to him. And I know what a Parisos and a Hooper and a K.O. life look like. And I am walking forward in that from here on out. I'm not letting go. But it doesn't mean that I won't struggle and I won't have problems and trials and temptations and turmoil. It means I'm not here on this earth long enough to let them disturb me that bad. I'm moving forward. I want to invite the prayer team to come up here, if you will, at this point. I know you guys are ready. Not to be overtly, well, how about if we just do it this way? How about if we just spread out a little bit so we can get people around you? There you go. Okay, we got people. Listen to me. If you've been in the prayer, in the prayer training in this church, and we're going to have one this fall for anybody that wants to come, but if you've been in the prayer training in this church and, and uh, you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm supposed to go up there, you asking yourself that question, the answer is yes. Okay? That, that's the Lord picking your scratch or itching your scratch, scratching your itch, scratching your itch. Okay, it's been a long time since I've been up here, three weeks. So scratching your itch. That's when you know you're supposed to get up and pray for people. I don't know what I'm going to pray. I, I get that. I don't want you to know what. I want you to come up here and say what the Holy Spirit wants you to say when you pray and ask that blessing on these people. But let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you right now, God, I want to recognize that you are my wonder wall. Doesn't matter what you've given me to stick up on the wall of my life. Doesn't matter the things that I've collected. What matters is that you are my wonder wall. God, I recognize that you are the one that saves me and I'm not giving up and I'm not letting go and I'm not quitting. But at the same time, Lord, there are times when we need to run to the hospital, when we need to run to the church, when we need, we need to run in and we need to have you, the great healer and physician, touch our soul, touch our relationships, touch our finances. Give us wisdom. Open up our deaf ears because we need to hear you saying which way to move, that we might embrace the life that you have for us so that as we embrace that life, God, we can pour it back into other people, not just collect it and consume it upon ourselves, Father. So as we come right now, God, I ask and pray that you would drive out the darkness. 
right here in these people's lives, whatever it is, not the devil all the time, God, but just the darkness that clouds us from seeing what you're doing. Maybe the busyness of our hands, the, the, the cares of this world, as you said in one scripture, Lord. Just push them out. And Holy Spirit, we want to say, come. We want to say, come. As this darkness leaves, we invite you to fill us up. Ground us in a relevant life, connected to a wonder wall, with the knowledge, the belief, the faith that you are saving us. And you have saved us. And you, when that trumpet blows, are going to snatch us off this earth and save us. And we'll come home. But until then, God, don't let us become irrelevant. Help us to be perseverers and to stay the course. God, as we go into this fall and we talk about parenting and we talk about families and we talk about relationships, as we talk about attitudes, as we begin to go into those kind of series, open up our hearts and our minds to changing us, not just giving us what we want. We thank you for this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. I want to invite you guys to pray for these people that you're standing here with. We're going to be going into this closing song, but please take time to pray for them.